When we did Tony Little's first infomercial, we had no idea he was a personal trainer right here in Tampa, St. Pete area, and it, it generated 300 plus million dollars in sales. So that'll pay for a few losses, okay? And I conditioned my mind to understand that a failure was teaching me something that right. I could learn from and use that to better myself for the next launch. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and on today's episode, serial entrepreneur and original shark from the hit series Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington shares his journey of how he was able to build a multi-million dollar empire from the ground up. This episode is loaded with a wealth of practical and proven strategies for success as a startup or as an established entrepreneur. So I am confident that no matter what stage of the entrepreneurial journey you are in, you will see tremendous value from what Kevin delivers here today. Please enjoy today's episode with Kevin Harrington. So Kevin, you grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and like many boys and girls of our age, you actually started out very young with your own business, right? Yes. And I spent a little bit of time in Cincinnati. It's a great, great place to live and yep. great family place. You were mowing lawns, delivering papers. Where did your entrepreneurial drive come from? Did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? I didn't really necessarily know all of my growing up years, but my father was actually a bartender and it was was his trade at the when I was a youngster and one day he saved up enough money to open up his own bar so he opened Harrington's Irish Pub and so when I was 11 I started working in his restaurant it was a bar and a restaurant and so he would always show me the different things as the owner of the restaurant and the bar of what he was doing to prevent theft and to prevent different things that were happening negatively and how to grow the business. He would show me the accounting at the end of the day. And so he would, he would say, I want you to own your own business someday. My, my father, he was sort of a mentor to so me. So he was a role model. A role you. model. Yeah. And, and then I saw, now he worked 80 plus hours a week. So being an entrepreneur doesn't mean it's easy, but he got to work his own 80 hours, whatever 80 hours he wanted to right, work, right? right? But so when I was 15, I started a driveway ceiling business. And, you know, Cincinnati, it gets cold in the winter. Right. If you have a crack in your driveway and the water gets in there and it freezes, it'll triple the size of the crack. So I would knock on their door, drive my bicycle up to their to their, their door, knock on the door and take them out and say, see these cracks here? If you don't put something in there, they're going to triple by the time you get to spring next year. And I was doing 10 driveways a week, just a part-time business during the summer when I was in high school. And then, in, and this was encouraged by my father. So, so where did you get that idea to do the? One of the folks in our neighborhood that was doing, they lived in a big, beautiful home. And we said, what do they do? And they're, oh, they're in the, in the black topping driveway ceiling business. Right. And so I said that, you know, they did the full black top and everything. And so I, I had a, a meeting with them at one time and I said, hey, look, this driveway ceiling is, it seems pretty easy to squeegee it on and seal the crack. And, and they said, we'd be happy to supply you product. And so they, they sort of taught 
got me the business. I don't think they expected me to get as big as we got because eventually we we would were bidding against them on some projects (laughs) and we were cheaper. So we started getting some business. I don't think they necessarily understood that's how that was going to work. But but we were we kicked off strong. And I say we because I hired I hired a guy that was 16 and I bought a truck because I couldn't drive. Wow. So so we had a we had a truck and we had a couple of us going out on a daily basis. And and then I when I got into college, I went to the University of Cincinnati and my father, I was one of six and I was number four. So by the time it got to me, my dad said, you know, look, the restaurant business is doing okay, but not well enough to pay for your college education. So you're going to have to figure it out. And meaning my school, my books, my living, you know, so I went, I got an apartment, I had a car, I had insurance, I had books and education I had to pay for. So the driveway ceiling business was good for the summer and I was, I was making money, but I needed a full-time business. So right. I started a heating and air conditioning business. So anyway, it's, that was full-time and, and I was buying lists of people that just bought a new home and we would call them and say, don't turn that furnace on because you never know. It's a, a dangerous appliance. We'll come out, give you a free safety check and clean the furnace absolutely free. So now we were picking up new clients every day and that was my next business. So that's how you paid for college. That paid for my college. Wow. So how did you learn to sell? It sounds like selling was a big part of that. You know, you figured out, I want to be in a big house like that. How can I do that? I want to make money. How can I do that? But selling had to be a big part of that. Selling was a big part of my my success, I think, and there was a couple things that 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 I that I did, but I I took I started t- taking classes and over audio tape actually. It was called Automobile University, and this was Zig Ziglar. So Zig Ziglar was a master salesman, and he started putting out all this content way back in the day, back in the seventies and the eighties, and he started writing books. And Zig Ziglar was one of the top closers, and one of his books was called The Secrets of Closing the Sale, and he had over a hundred plus closing techniques. So one of the techniques was all about magical transformation. And so when I did the driveways, I would take a picture of, of the driveway before I did it. And it was ugly looking usually. And then I would take it after. So I'd show these big, ugly cracks and how the, how kind of old the driveway looked. And then we filled the cracks and beautified the driveway. So we got an after picture. So it was before and after. And this was a 45 years ago when I was doing this, running, knocking on doors. And so people loved that because I could go into their neighborhood, get one driveway done, put my sign across the the driveway, take a before and after. Now I had established credibility and people could just drive by and say, oh, wow, I see what you did for them. I want that exact right. same thing done. So, for have me. you been able to apply that through your career? And, it sounds like great advice. I've used that for many of the infomercials that I've done. We're, you know, we haven't even talked about that, but I got into the infomercial business. But when you think about Tony Little and the fitness products, right? Those were magical transformation, losing weight. If you look at proactive and beauty products, it's you know rough skin to clear skin, right? And most of the testimonials generally involve some kind of 
transformation. Right. And the more magical it is, the more you're going to sell. The so better. that's one of the techniques. But over the years, I've learned dozens and dozens, not quite a hundred, but I think I've got, you know, several dozen of them down to where that's helped me be to be successful in sales. And I, I always say I'm an entrepreneur, but it started because I was a salesman. A sales. Yeah. Now, sales is very important, you know, in, exactly. our, in our academic program for entrepreneurs, we think they all need to be able to sell. You got to sell your product. You got to get Somebody buying it. Absolutely. So take us from having your own companies there in Cincinnati and getting through college to being uh, one of the original sharks, which is where a lot of people may have been first introduced to what you've been doing. Yes. T- take us down your career path. How did you get there? And and that's pretty, I know you've got a lot of great stories oh, with it was, that. It was a lot of fun. So so after I started the heating and air business, and that did very well for me all through college, I realized it was very labor oriented. So I, I, and I was also geographically limiting to the Cincinnati market. I wanted something bigger, more global. I had bigger visions. And so I ended up selling the business and eventually getting in. One day I was watching cable television that just came out and the channel I was watching, Discovery Channel, went dark. And for six hours, they had no programming. And I, and I called the cable company and said, why is Discovery all of a sudden there's nothing there? And it's six hours of, of, of nothing. And they said, oh, Discovery's only an 18 hour a day network. So that's all we, you know, we're the cable company. We deliver to you what we get from them. So the cable company doesn't actually produce any programming. They're just distributing the channels. And Discovery was a channel that was 18 hours a day, six hours of nothing. So I went to Discovery and said, why don't I take that six-hour block and do something with it? And I cut a deal to buy it for $1,000 a day for six hours nationwide. And I signed a long-term contract for that time. And that was generating in product. And now we started putting products on 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 the channel. So we were selling housewares and kitchen knives like the Ginsu and the Food Saver and then Tony Little and Jack LaLanne and the Juicer and George Foreman and amazing products. And so that's when Mark Burnett caught, I caught his attention. He was looking for a team of sharks. Right. And he wanted somebody that had product experience because Barbara Corcoran, she's great with real estate. O'Leary was kind of toys. Herjavec was security and, and high level security for companies that had more than a thousand employees. Damon John was clothing, but they didn't have really anybody that was across the board All kinds of products, products, from kitchen to fitness to housewares, consumer (laughs) goods, direct to the consumer. So Mark Burnett called me and said, I'd like to meet you. I've heard all about what you're doing and I've seen all your products and it's pretty amazing. And and I'll never forget the first time when he he wouldn't tell me over the phone what Shark Tank was. He said, you got to come out here and sign some papers, but you're going to like this, right? So I got off the phone and I told my wife, he told me, I just got off with Mark Burnett. He told me that he wants me to come out and talk to him about this new show that he's doing, but he won't tell me what it is, but it's called Shark Tank. And she says, oh, well, I think I know why he won't tell you. Doesn't he do crazy things to people on that Survivor show? <laughs> Maybe there's something crazy going to happen on something called Shark Tank. So little did I know, it, it was it was really not anything to do with sharks in tanks. It was business sharks. So right. it was pretty cool. But I, I, I did a, a little screen test when I went out. And what was amazing for Mark Burnett and the folks that were there is that I had actually been taking pitches for dozens of years already due to the fact that being a product guy, I would go to the houseware show 
and take pitches on product. I'd go to the hardware show and take pitches. I'd go to the toy fair and the beauty shows and the PGA golf show. So I was already in the business of doing trade shows and pitches all over the world. And so when Mark said, do you think when someone walks out, they're going to give you a pitch in three minutes, will you be able to make your mind up in three minutes, whether you like the product and would be consider investing? And I said, Mark, that's what I do every day. Okay. Right, he says, right. really? So he said, well, let's try it. And we went in the other room and he's like, yeah, he said, I see that you've done this before. So they actually told me that I was the first shark that they picked out of all the sharks they were talking to. So I was pretty proud to, to have that uh, designation, but uh, that was 10 years ago. And here we are 10 years later. It's, it's been a good run. I, I did about 175 segments and there's five segments to a one hour show. So altogether, I, I, I taped more than 30 shows and those continue to run in reruns on CNBC here in the U.S., but they also are now running literally every, pretty much every country around the world, right, right. major country. So I was in India a month ago, and it's in prime time in India right now, Shark Tank. And they also have local versions of Shark Tank in quite a few markets. Like in Mexico, they have Mexi sharks from Mexico and in right. South Africa, South African sharks and Australian sharks. And I was in Israel recently and met the Israeli sharks. And, and in Brazil at Sao Paulo, they have Brazilian sharks. So shark is sharks are all over the world now in many languages. And it's a global brand and been right. very successful. Yeah, they've been very successful. And, you know, it, it just points to the rise of the interest in entrepreneurship and the belief that you know, I think at one time, a lot of students, for example, that I saw didn't even think about being entrepreneurs like you did right from the start. I was the same way. I had a mom who was had her own business. So, you know, I was very invested in it early yeah. on. But now it's part of our culture. And I, I think it's really, it's empowering yes. for a lot of young people. Absolutely. And not everybody had the benefit you and I had of a role model. And exactly. so they see it on, on TV now. So. My mom actually owned her own nursery school. So I, 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 think, so it was in, I think it was whammy. in my blood. Yeah, you had double whammy. <laughs> so where are you headed now? You've been doing some really cool things, I know, in the last few years. Can you talk about that a little sure. bit? Sure. So Shark Tank gave me an interesting platform to connect with entrepreneurs pretty much on a global basis. So so I have kind of three legs to my stool of, of business and, and life. And for the first leg is what I've been doing for 35 years, and that's products. I still continue to do products. At any one time, I've got about a dozen products that we're in the, in the process of marketing. We, we sell them on the shopping channels, QVC and HSN, and on a global basis, we we sell them on on TV, also on on in retail stores. So I've got items in Walmart and Target and and CVS and Walgreens and all the retail stores and 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 shopping channels. So that's one leg of my business. We continue to do products. The second leg of my business, I started getting asked to go speak at, at different conferences and trade shows and events. So last year I did north of 90 events around the world. And these are from Asia to Latin America to Europe, but these are generally entrepreneurial related. So 
as you, I think, you know, I was one of the original co-founders of the entrepreneurs organization. Yes. So EO around the world. And, and so every year I do a number of those events because those are very powerful to connect with a group that I've been involved with since the, the, the beginning, 1987. And EO is in a hundred and 50 cities in 45 plus countries. So, so I speak in Europe, I speak in Latin America, I speak in Asia, corporations, entrepreneurial groups, and just private events. But those generally also lead to deal flow. Because right, if, if right. I'm in front of 3,000, I went to Sao Paulo, Brazil, to the World Trade Center, 3,000 entrepreneurs are there. I, I got... 50 of them lined Somebody's up. got a great pitch, idea, right? Yeah. right? So we're actually bringing an amazing product. I can't discuss it here because it hasn't launched yet, but it's a new item coming from Brazil. And so every I mean, event that I speak at, there's something that comes from that, but that's my second leg. So the first leg, I still do products, second leg speaking. And then the third leg is I manage the investments and the companies that I'm an equity owner of and I sit on the boards of. So currently I'm on seven public company boards, a board of directors, and and probably another dozen advisory boards. And that actually takes up a lot of my time. Oh, sure. So, sure. I mean, as you know, boards, as, as, as I try to make as many meetings as I can here at the University of Tampa, it's important to connect and it's important to be able to to participate and be part of, of as many of these great boards as possible, uh, and especially public companies. There's quarterly commitments there. Sometimes some right. of these take on monthly commitments with phone calls and committees and things like that. So so that is a very exciting part of my life because what I love about public companies, one of my companies, we, we took a stock from 10 cents to $4.50 and another one we took from a dollar to $18. So, and of course, as being part of it, I participate in that growth right. and the upside. So, so that really is very fulfilling for me to be able to get in on the ground floor of a public company or a private company even, provide services, help them out, raise them some capital if that's what's needed, invest a little on occasion also, which is how some of them come to me, but then empower them to, to build a great company. So that's my third leg is, is my investments in boards that I serve. That's really exciting. Thank I love you. it. You know, I knowing a little bit about your story, I know you recognized early on that TV was an opportunity. And of course, you talked about the advantage that you took with Discovery Channel. Yes. That's changed a lot. TV versus yes. the internet now. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, that's a very good point because I think that one of the challenges that entrepreneurs run into is you can have a very successful business and and all of a sudden things have changed in the marketplace. And if you don't adjust to the changes, you might not be in business any longer. So TV has had a very difficult last 10 years. There's been a 50% decline in television viewership and they haven't dropped the rates much. So the rates are kind of the same that they used to be, but they're giving us half the viewers. So five years ago, as we saw this happening, we said, we really need to focus on where these viewers are going and, and now put programs together to go capture these viewers in the other distribution points. So it's no secret. Where did they go? Facebook, 
Instagram, the internet, Google, YouTube, et cetera. So we now are much more digital company than we, than we are even an as seen on TV company. In fact, I used to own as seen on TV.com. We built that to an amazing site, very successful site. And one day somebody came along and made me an offer. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. And we cut the deal and we sold it because I saw the, the handwriting on the wall that TV was dropping, but right. so were the, the visitors to As Seen on TV for a couple reasons. One, television was dropping in, in viewers, but number two, Amazon was coming out. So people would see something on TV and instead of calling the number, they go to Amazon. Right. And there I have my competitor selling something similar or a knockoff even. So it's a, it's a different business model today. We start actually all of our product testing on either Facebook or Instagram. We start on the internet, mm-hmm. create some viral videos. So we use, we use videos, we use landing pages, funnels. It's a whole new world where we can actually capture a lot more of the information because in the world of TV, we would be seen by millions but only the only data that we got was really the people that had called and ordered. Right. 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 So we didn't know that there was, you know, millions out there seeing it, but not, not uh, doing on anything. It. Uh-huh. But on the Internet, a lot of people act and they'll click to see, oh, well, let me click here and see what's there. As soon as they click, that information can be retrievable as to who they are and how to get back in touch with them. It's called retargeting. So we're more about data collection today and building lists and building followers much more so than ever before. And it's, it gives us an opportunity to actually target market the the people that we're trying to reach for the products. It's a really exciting time, but things are changing. Let me take you back. You mentioned you were on a number of company boards and how do you, what kind of advice do you give to some of the startups that you work with? And and what, what, you know, what kinds of things do you like to remind them of, tell them, help them with? Right. Well, very, very good question. I think many of the companies end up coming to us because they're, they're looking for capital. So, so we, that, that often is a very major important point for a lot of the companies. The bigger you get, the more capital you're going to need. If you're growing, you need more inventory to ship to the stores and you don't get paid. You got to manufacture it, pay for it, ship it and wait to get paid. If you're going to be in 10,000 stores, you need a certain amount of capital. If you're going to be in 50,000 stores, you need five times the capital. So it's, it's, it's a very, the world is revolves around making sure that you can go raise some money. And so we have a good entrees to many investors, to angel groups, to investment bankers, hedge funds, et cetera. We can't raise money for everybody, but if you've got a good story and a good unique positioning, a lot of times capital is something that we can help with. There's also good crowdfunding options today also. So maybe you're not bankable with a bank or, or an investment banker, but we'll, you know, then steer somebody in a crowdfunding capacity. And we've raised tens of millions of dollars over the years on crowdfunding for various companies also. So, so we always say, make sure that you have a good vision on your capital. We also, as a startup, it's important that you don't burn through the money too quickly and you keep your expenses very tight. And I, I right. say that today that we have the gig economy that, that is, you know, Uber is, is great because people can make some weekend gig money, right? right? It's right. a weekend gig to go drive an Uber. Absolutely. You don't have to quit a job. You can, 
do it in your spare time, make some extra money. But this is this is good for startups because they don't have to hire full-time employees. There's a lot of people out there that are looking for a gig. Absolutely. Right? From graphic artists to media people to producers to all the things that I used to have to employ, I can now use part-time or gig employees, and I don't have to have that big overhead structure. I don't have to have the physical buildings to house them, as well as the the, the overhead of the of, of the salaries and, and, and taxes and health insurance and all of that. So I say, keep your expenses low, because if you raise a little money and go through it quickly, it's very tough to get that next round. Investors want to see that you've used the money according to plan, and now you keep executing according to your budgets and your 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 projections. So I tell them to focus on the capital, focus on keeping expenses tight, also focus on two numbers that are important to me, and that is what is the customer acquisition cost to get a new right. customer? A lot of times I'll ask on Shark Tank, people would come out and they want all this money for this a teeny percentage of their company. And I say, what does it cost you to acquire a customer? And they're like, I don't know. And so, well, maybe I'm not ready to invest then because once somebody can identify that acquisition cost and in the product selling business, it's the first thing we find out. What does it cost us to acquire a customer for our product. And if we see what that cost is, and then we see then the lifetime value of the customer, if if those numbers work, meaning the cost to acquire is a lot less than the lifetime value, then let's just go get a lot more customers. And so, so now that becomes a bankable enterprise. If we can show an investor it cost us $10 to get a customer. The lifetime value is $100. So we just need a lot of $10 bills to go get millions of customers who are going to build us this tremendous value at $100. So so it you need to have a story to tell to the investors and that we create by learning some numbers. The the last thing that I that I recommend to a startup is to I, I call it kind of getting a a good dream team so to speak or a good advisory right. board, right? Right. And 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 I I say now, you know, once I get involved, that can be beneficial to the company because they can talk about that guy from Shark Tank as part of the, the company type of thing. There can be benefit to that, but it, that also can help you open up some doors to get into some other powerful potential advisors that you might need. So, and I say, don't pay these advisors a lot of money because many of them will do it for maybe a little piece of the upside, or in some cases, just to help a, an, a fellow entrepreneur even. So there's, you know, a lot of advisors like to see some kind of compensation model, but there are different ways to structure deals there to get some amazing people right. to join your team. Right, right. That, that's such great advice because it is, you've got to have a handle on the numbers. And I, I've got something I want to talk to okay. you about later because <laughs> we've developed this little model that does integrate some of those financial oh, measures. Super. And we should talk about it because I think it's, those are, there's a few key elements, but at the end, it's always about people. People, isn't it? Yes. And getting and the right people. Getting the right people. So great wisdom in all that. Thank you for sharing that. You've been so generous. I, I feel really blessed you're, that you participate here at the University of Tampa with some of our, many of our students and on our board. And you've worked with the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization, spoken to them many times. Yes. So you've given back. You, you have a passion, I think, for helping other entrepreneurs. So I want to thank you for that personally. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. I appreciate and, that. And, and tell
tell you how much that means. I, I love think. hanging with entrepreneurs, and it's this is a great place. I, I've been in the Tampa area for 25 years now, so the University of Tampa is an amazing college, and I believe one of the top entrepreneurship colleges in, in the United States. So thank you for, for having me, too. Yeah, well, thank you for that. So tell me a little bit, you know, we talk about, in our classes, we talk about resilience and the ability to overcome adversity and... Have you ever had any difficult, challenging times? And, and, you know, what role do you think luck versus hard work and and dealing with adversity, all of those elements have great, played? Great area. I, certainly, I say to myself on a regular basis that you're, you're not always going to succeed. And I had a, when my son, who's 30 years old, and he, he's been with me in the business now for nine years full time out of college and everything, he would get all excited about a product and we, he, he'd put his time and energy and he was as in the very beginning when he started, he was like a, an account executive overseeing projects. And so he would spend three to six months on a project. We'd invest tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars and it would bomb. And he would come back and he would, he would say, dad, I, I don't understand. How do you deal with this, this, you know, this terrible situation of, you know, failure? And I said, Brian, I said, well, first of all, we don't just give up if it bombs the first time we go back and tweak it. Maybe there was some, just something very strange. You can have you know, maybe something tested Super Bowl weekend and everyone was, had their eyes on the Super Bowl. So you got to always do some more testing, but after tweaking and testing and retesting, if we can't make it work, we have to go on to the next. And I, I, I say to, to my son, Brian, at Winston Churchill had a saying that success is being able to go from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. And so I, I learned early on, I'm going to only hit on one out of three or one out of four projects. And what I need to do is have a model that puts as little money as possible into the, the failures. And, you know, I, I say test before we invest also. So we try to put a little bit of money to test it. Then if we get life on it, we put more money in until we get it to work and then we roll it out. But if it doesn't work, then we cut it and we just call it a failure and move on because we're not going to have a success every time. So I just, that's how I start every single day knowing that not everything is going to work, but the ones that do, I mean, when we did Tony Little's first infomercial, we had no idea. He was a personal trainer right here in Tampa, St. Pete area. And it, it generated 300 plus million dollars in sales. So that'll pay for a few losses. Okay. You know, so that I conditioned my mind to understand that a failure was teaching me something that I could learn from and use that to better myself for the next launch. And so, so that is how we dealt with it. But I'll, I'll never forget one of the biggest failures. One day I was sitting, it was a Monday morning and most of our sales happened over the weekend and we would clear all the credit cards on Monday and all that money would come into our account on Monday from the weekend sales. And mm-hmm. the weekend sales would were about 90% of our business, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so one Monday afternoon, my CFO came in and said, oh, uh, something very strange happened. 
$2 million was pulled out of our account by the bank and that's processing our credit cards. And so I wow. said, well, what's that all about? And they said, well, I'm trying to find out the, you know, we're, we're, you know, we just giving you the information as I'm getting it. It's a Came stressful Monday. Later <laughs> and, and he says, oh, well, we had one of our products was having high returns and a little bit of complaints at the bank. And it was one, we had a dozen products on the air and we were doing $2 million a week in sales. So this was one week's worth of sales that they grabbed. And they had a, in our contract with the bank, they had the right, if they felt insecure with the amount of money we had, we had a $500,000 cash bank account that was a reserve against returns, okay. future returns. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, with all these sales, we're, we, we, now, we, need a, we need to have a week's worth of reserve on top of that 500000 which was $2 million. Wow. So they had the right to grab my money and just take it. Wow. As reserve. Now, it was still mine, right. but they were holding it in escrow. Right. But that was my operating capital, so we were almost out of business, right? right? That, I mean, we needed that to buy inventory, to pay payroll, to buy media, to stay in business. And we, we, we say a, OCC, out of cash equals out of business, right? Yes. So we almost, we had a real difficult time. And without getting into all the details, we ended up managing to survive this, but it required getting, you know, tough with the banks and, and getting some extra experts in to help us review what to do. But it was, the problem was, it was the golden rule at that point. They had the gold right. and they were ruling. Right. So we ended up in, in, a, in a big battle and we ended up getting back a large portion of it eventually, but it took a little bit of time. So for about a month, we were almost out of business. It was wow. very devastating. Wow. So now what's the takeaway from that? Nowadays, we had one product that was having some problems that caused the whole company to almost go down. We now have individual merchant accounts for every single for product, product because now we treat each one as a separate business. If there's a problem with that one account, we can shut that down. We can shut that product down. We can figure out what's going on, but it doesn't affect the other 10 or 11. Right. So, and in hindsight, we had partnerships with each product in many cases. So it's not fair to your partner if all of a sudden oh, the bank just grabbed this money and now you can't operate. What does that do to the partnership, right? So when we set these up as separate companies, we actually were a lot better off. So today we've gained from that experience and almost getting knocked out of business. Lesson learned, right? Lesson learned, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great. I love that. So I'm sure it was tough, but great lesson there. So you have vested in literally thousands of products. How do you find opportunities and, and where do you see opportunities today? Great question. So going back to what we previously talked about, speaking is a great place for me to meet lots of really cool entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs today. They have product, they have service businesses, they have patents, they have software. So I've diversified myself. I'm, I no longer just invest in a product. Many times it might be a great service or something that a software, something that needs to, to come out to the marketplace can speed up some function inside a business. So, so speaking is uh, connecting inside entrepreneurial organizations is always great. But I also do a, a lot of my own kind of entrepreneurial boot camps where we invite entrepreneurs in and we, we will do a, 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 we have a one day, a two day and a three day program where we actually teach entrepreneurs how to 
launch their business. That's great. And, yeah. and how to do viral videos and 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 build funnels and and how to run ads. I mean, one of the challenges we had with the world of TV is viewership was dropping and the rates stayed the same. We were spending thousands of dollars, sometimes as much as ten or twenty thousand dollars on an airtime slot, not not having any idea how well it was going to do. On Facebook, you can buy ads for five dollars. So you know we can run a hundred dollar a hundred ads at five dollars an ad for five hundred bucks. We've got a really good test on Facebook, and we can see whether we got life on that product right. or that service or that software. So so we like to do a lot of testing, and so between our own entrepreneurial boot camps as well as my speaking, and we got a lot of referrals still. Lots of lots of folks coming to us from old projects and old relationships and partnerships over the years. But I also still go to about 20 plus trade shows a year. And that is, I say, the lifeblood of of my business, the houseware show, the hardware show, the fitness show, the beauty show, the golf show, et cetera. And one of the cool things we started doing a few years ago was holding Shark Tank style events where we actually take pitches at these trade shows from folks that have an idea or a product that they want to pitch to a panel of investors. So I assemble a group of investors along with myself, many of them sometimes from that particular industry, if we're at an industry trade show. And so we did at the Consumer Electronics Show, the CES show in Vegas, 200,000 people come. We, we, we did a Shark Tank last year at the CES show, and we have another one planned for Jan- January of 2020. And so we're going to get all kinds of really cool, innovative consumer electronic pitches at a, at a, at a conference right. like that. So there's never a lack of new ideas and new pitches and new products. And that's what makes the world go around. And this is what makes entrepreneurship so exciting, right. I think. You know, sometimes I get students who want to be an entrepreneur, but they don't have an idea or a concept to work on. And they'll ask, you know, where, where can I find an opportunity? Do you have any ideas about where people should look if they want to be entrepreneurs, but they're not sure what to do? Yeah. So way back, back in the mid 80s and, and uh, early 90s, I started, I was actually, I became a business broker before in between the heating right. and air conditioning and infomercials. I, I didn't tell that step, but I became a business broker selling pizza parlors and laundromats and dry cleaning businesses and restaurants because I wanted to see the inner workings of all these different industries. And because I got the books and records of these companies that I was selling. So I got a chance, literally, we had over 200 businesses for sale at, at, at one particular time. So I had the... I had the books and records. I saw the leases, the food costs, the percentages, the employee costs, the, the the cost to acquire customers, the, you know, literally the inner workings of hundreds of different companies. That was something very powerful for me. And I don't know if that's something that somebody would consider doing, but I always say, if you can take a look, if you go meet a business broker and have them start showing you the different businesses that he's got. Now, you may not be able to invest in all of these, but sometimes there's businesses you can start for no money down, $10,000 down. A lot of businesses, and this is one of the things we had to do, owners have to carry some of the paper a lot of times because a business sometimes isn't 100% bankable. A lot of businesses don't have the big fancy financials, 
Some of them, you know, bars and restaurants, some of them are cash businesses. And so, you know, you have to kind of get almost bring somebody in, let them sit at the lunch hour and see how crowded the place is at lunch, because the numbers may not show that. Right, right. right. Unfortunately. But anyway, I I say, you know, becoming a business broker, if if that's too difficult, don't do that. But there are what I call these, like the, there's some, an organization called the IFA, the International Franchise Association. Mm-hmm. They have quarterly trade shows and hundreds of companies take out booths at these shows. And these are all kinds of businesses that you, you just never know. It might be a Subway sandwich shop, but they also might have a, you know, a little cell phone repair shop that, that, that they're opening and you can work it from your home. So there's a lot of home-based businesses nowadays that are easy to start that don't require a lot of capital. And so generally these kinds of events, these, these franchise shows, and most of the companies that go to them are franchise related, but sometimes there are even licenses or distributorships that don't require a big fancy franchise fee. So I love going to those shows. I still do that. I speak at those events. What I hear when you're talking is that you've been a lifelong learner and that you've been interested in doing research because that to me sounds like the the formula for what you've used, I'd you know, when you see good, something yeah. interesting, you're curious about it, you go learn about it. And so I think part of part of the message I'm hearing anyway, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is when you did the, when you became the broker, that gave you a chance to learn about all those different businesses and really educate yourself. So. Yes. I, I call it my, my curiosity overload days. Okay? Right. <laughs> my father, again, he worked 80 hours a week as day off a Sunday and he'd be sitting in his easy chair with a big stack of trade journals, Wall Street journals, New York Times, papers that he hadn't read for the week, but trade journals from the restaurant business. And I said, dad, it's your day off. What are you doing? He's like, I got to stay up on what's going on out in the world and that my industry, there may be some new machines that'll cook, that'll some kind of special broasting unit for chickens or something that might be in the trade journal this week that I got to, you know, tune into. So I would actually go to the restaurant show with my dad and see all the, oh, here's the new things happening in this industry. So my dad said, you can't just rest on what you have. You got to have multiple income streams and exposure to to new ideas, new opportunities. And so I started in the early days reading lots of publications, newspapers, magazines, and trade journals, and attending a lot of shows to keep myself informed. And it was the curiosity factor that made me do it, I guess, because I wanted to learn. And then I found opportunities. And actually, when I was brokering businesses, in some cases, I would end up partnering with them right. because they, I would say, you know, I think I've got some ideas on what you could do to increase your sales. And they would say, well, if you want to help me, I'd be happy to, you know, bring you in as a, as a limited partner. And so I had a, more than a dozen companies that I was partners in way before Shark Tank back in the day of selling businesses. So right. it's given me that, that curiosity factor, something I learned from my father. And here I am many years later, continuing to do it on a, on a day-to-day it's basis. It's a big part of who you are. Yeah. yeah. So you've done a lot of amazing things. You run a ton of businesses right now. I think I understand that 20 of your companies have each topped a hundred million in revenue. You've had tons of success where does all this energy come from and how do you find the time to do all this? <laughs> hey, it goes in spurts. I'll say that. Some days I feel my age, uh, <laughs> but but the flying does take it out of you when you're the international side right, at least. Right. But what basically I think, 
I look back over my last 60 years and the first 30 years I spent trying to trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I've, I was in driveway sealing and heating and air conditioning and business brokerage. Then I found infomercials. But that was at the end of that 30. I was 28 years old when I discovered infomercials and kind of invented that that format. And so then I spent the next 30 years really building all these different businesses right. and products and business, you know, companies that did, you know, go to over a hundred million. But so that was sort of my first 60 years. Now that I'm in my, I call it my last six, my last 30 years, rather, I'm focusing on empowering entrepreneurs and yeah, partnering with that. entrepreneurs and advising entrepreneurs because I don't have to, to, to work full time every day. Like, you know, in the old days, I've done well enough that I can say I, I'm able to handle business as without having to, to go work every day. But I love a challenge and I love a new opportunity and I love and I love getting involved with startups. I typically don't get too excited if something is, you know, already built and already out there and already doing well. It's, you know, that's not where I, I focus. I focus really in that startup community where if the difference, the things you do in the early days can be the difference between success and failure, who right. you bring on your team, getting the right capital, all the things we right. kind of talked about here. I believe that somebody like myself, that I've been involved with dozens of public companies and, and private companies beyond that. And so I believe that that startup mode is very important. And that is one of my focuses now to empower and help entrepreneurs succeed as often as possible. Well, these young entrepreneurs are really fortunate to have you. So so thank you for thank all you, you do and so impressive. As we close, tell us a little bit about where our listeners can find you, reach you. Oh, super. So pretty simple. I have a website. It's kevinharrington.tv, not .com. There's a famous actor in, in London that owns the .com. So <laughs> he refers people over to me all the time because people get to the .com. But it's if you Google me on the internet, it will take you right to the TV, the .tv site. But my website, I've got, there's free downloads for books and manuals and, and programs that we have. And it's it's just, an, it's, it's a kind of a portal to connect with me. You can leave messages there for me. And, and I actually do see them. I, there are certain days that, it, that it's tough to get through all of them, but eventually I, I see everything that comes through the doors. And I've got my two sons, one of them, which is 30 and the other is 21 now that are part of my team. And we've got a great team of folks right here in the Tampa St. Pete area. And we have our own studio here in the in the city now. And we're just excited to take a look at new opportunities. So kevinharrington.tv is a good place to start and leave me a message there and I'll be sure to get back in touch. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me.